Welcome to this CTSnet podcast. My name's Joel Dunning and I'm delighted to be hosting the first of a two-part podcast series all about vaccines. The whole world has seen a massive rise in COVID and Britain's no exception. We're all in a national lockdown here. Numbers are huge. We're reducing uh, our operating and actually I'm now mostly working in our vaccine hub, giving vaccines to healthcare workers uh, and, uh, and the over 80s. So we thought at CTSnet this would be a great time to talk all about vaccines, vaccination and everything you need to know. I'm delighted to say that Jessica Luke has an amazing special guest next week. Uh, She's invited an expert immunologist to give his fascinating insights from his point of view as to the current status of vaccination. But from my point of view, I'm going to review uh, the three papers on the three vaccines, just so you know uh, the difference between them. uh, And uh, and if you actually end up giving them out, uh, you'll know exactly what to expect. So first, uh, I'm going to start with the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. Uh, This is the vaccine we're giving out in the UK at the moment. Um, This is produced in Belgium and the original paper uh, is in the New England Journal of Medicine published on December the 31st, uh, 2020. I really encourage you to have a look at these papers. Uh, The difference between the three currently available vaccine papers, it's mind boggling. Uh, It really is a massive difference. Uh, And just as a little taster, I'm also going to give you a little insight on the great British gamble. Um, We're basically going to rip up these papers and totally change the protocol uh, for some of these vaccines. And I'll tell you about that at the end. Uh, And immunologists are up in arms about this worldwide. Uh, And I'll give you some of the justifications for why we're doing this and also some of the massive concerns. Let's get cracking on this very first vaccine paper. So Pfizer-BioNTech is an mRNA vaccine. This is a brand new class of vaccination. Uh, They get a lipid nanoparticle around pure mRNA. So you inject that uh, and that gets into your cells, your cells start producing whatever's in the mRNA. And what's in the mRNA is uh, the spike protein, but cleverly uh, it has two mutations in it and it's locked in its basically open configuration, which means that's uh, what is on real virus when it's looking to go into a cell. And that's it, a pure nanoparticle. So it's not in another virus that's not in a flu virus or something like that. It it is pure. This is a brand new uh, type of vaccine. So this study uh, is 43,500 participants. It's a double blind randomized study. It's in patients 16 years or older uh, and it's two doses, 30 micrograms given 21 days apart. So Pfizer started this study on July the 27th, and this reports uh, patients going all the way to November the 14th. That's a two-month full follow-up. Uh, one little thing that's causing us a bit of uh, difficulty in the UK is uh, the instability of this vaccine. It needs to be kept at minus 70. Uh, so, you, so you have to have very special fridges for that. Large hospitals have it, but not smaller hospitals. Um, we have to defrost it for three hours and then we have to do a dilution step. Once you've done that dilution step, then you've only got six hours to give those what we thought was five doses. But actually, we're getting six doses out of each vial uh, 
and a few times we even get seven. Uh, and But that is difficult uh, in the chain when you're trying to bang out as many as you can. We're trying to do 800 a day in our hospital. So this study, 152 sites uh, participated in this study. USA, Argentina, Brazil, South Africa, Germany, Turkey. Uh, really very impressively quickly set up, very impressively done study. Um, the dosing was decided on the phase two trial because it showed it gave antibodies and also uh, T-cell uh, uh, memory response. Uh, CD4 and CD8 cells all remembered uh, coronavirus if they were then tested on it, which is uh, a really good start off for this study. Um, interestingly, if you look at the inclusion uh, criteria in this study, uh, it does include nearly 200 HIV patients. It includes 100 Hep B, Hep C patients. And actually, um, it's 16 years or older, but there is a group of 12 to 15 year olds in this study. They're going to give a full report on that later, but probably we will get some data soon on that younger age group. Um, it's two month follow up, as I said, and um, and they do follow up people all the way up to 14 weeks. That's their maximum follow up that they have done. And they say that the study is actually designed for a two year study, which is interesting. So we'll get further results uh, as we go on. Uh, big ethnic mix, 35 percent were officially obese and the mean age was 52, although the range was all the way up to 91 years old. Uh, and uh, 42% of patients were older than 55. And that's really important because it's the over 55 and 65s and older people um, that are becoming ill. Uh, so we really need to know it works there. So this was a safety and efficacy um, report, as all the three first uh, papers are. And, uh, and actually, you get quite a lot of side effects uh, with all these vaccines. So the uh, Pfizer-BioNTech has a 47% uh, reported fatigue rate after dose one. And actually, it goes up to 59% in dose two. Although you must note that there are 33% uh, who get fatigue after placebo. Um, I forgot to mention as well that the placebo is saline. Um, and uh, that's interesting because the Oxford vaccine, they used uh, a meningococcus vaccine instead as their placebo because they wanted to have a similar, similar side effect reaction so that uh, people didn't unblind themselves by realising they had some myalgia fatigues and headaches. Uh, but the Pfizer and, uh, and the Moderna vaccine both uses just placebo. Uh, so coming back to the side effects, really common for fatigue and also really common for headache. Headache was 42% after dose one. And again, uh, the side effects go up after dose two. But do remember, 34% in placebo had headaches. And that was just by injecting saline. Um, systemic effects were a bit more common in the younger and uh, and all across the board for, for all the side effects were more common after the second dose. Uh, in terms of severe side effects, they were rare uh, and severe fatigue and severe headache was in about two to four percent uh, and fever more than 38 degrees was 16 percent. So we're uh, vaccinating 800 people a day. So we're going to see quite a lot and we are actually seeing quite a few people with really bad headaches, some people coming back, uh, some people being fatigued. We've had two people uh, faint or collapse in our vaccine hub, although they were fine. One of them we gave antihistamines. Nobody's had uh, IM adrenaline or a real uh, big 
side effect. So, so we're seeing these mild side effects, but nothing too bad. 28% in this study of patients used either pain medications or antipyrexials uh, as opposed to 10% in placebo. So, so basically, you, you might need to tell your patients that a third of them uh, might need paracetamol or something to get rid of their headache or, or make them feel better. In the Pfizer study, uh, there were four serious adverse events, um, uh, but one was a shoulder injury from bad administration and one ventricular arrhythmia. No deaths uh, in the administration arm. Uh, efficacy. So the headlines are, and this is amazing, really. So seven days after the second dose, there were only eight cases uh, in the vaccine group, whereas there were 162 in the placebo group. That's absolutely amazing. Uh, that's 95% efficacy. They also did a little interim analysis between the first and second dose, and there were 39 cases in the vaccine group and 82 in placebo, only 52% efficacy. Uh, so they say efficacy starts at day 12. But if you remember that the actual coronavirus probably has an incubation period of five days, um, you could probably take five days off that, saying that some protection does start at day seven. Also, very importantly, there were 10 severe cases in this study, but only one in the vaccine group and nine in placebo. Amazing study, phenomenal. We're delighted to be using this Pfizer vaccine. They say that they're doing further studies in pregnancy, in children under 12 and in immunocompromised patients. Uh, pregnancy is currently a contraindication because uh, there were no pregnant people in this study. So moving on to the second uh, amazing vaccine, the Moderna vaccine. Um, this is another mRNA uh, lip lipid nanoparticle, uh, very similar to the Pfizer one. And just as a note, um, they started the development of this on January the 14th. They were actually going to create a MERS vaccine. But when they heard about this funny little coronavirus ticking along in China, they thought, all right, well, let's just uh, use that instead. So they had a massive head start. I mean, really impressive. So, so the uh, New England Journal of Medicine paper is published 30th of December 2020, 99 centres, completely American study, really well performed, sponsored by uh, your National Institute of Health and National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease. Uh, it's a double-blinded RCT and the two doses were 28 days apart rather than 21. You got 30,420 patients uh, in this study. And just like the Pfizer vaccine, the primary outcome measure is symptomatic coronavirus infection. This one was 14 days after the second dose as opposed to seven days. Um, this started on July the 27th and finished October the 23rd. And the follow-up was two months, very similar to the previous they did 18 years and over. They've got a range age, a mean age 51, but the range does go to 95 years old. Now, the big difference with the Moderna vaccine is that it can be kept in fridges. That's a massive uh, improvement on the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, and there's also no dilution step. We've got to have a whole bay of people doing the dilutions and checking the dilutions. That's not needed with the Moderna vaccine. Um, this vaccine is also stable for eight hours at room temperature. Uh, whereas the Pfizer vaccine uh, is only six and only once it's out the massive freezer. So so big step forward. Also, there are less um, constituents in the Moderna vaccine. The, the Pfizer vaccine has quite a few other things, including polyethylene glycol, which can cause uh, apparently some, some hypersensitivity. Um, 
this study also looked uh, briefly in a subset at the prevention uh, of disease after a single dose. Also, there were a lot of patients with lung disease, cardiac disease, uh, BMIs over 40 and HIV in this study. So a wide range of people. So safety, um, 86% of people report pain at the injection site compared to 20% placebo. So it does cause uh, quite a lot of irritation in your IM injection site. Um, systemic effects were 54%, uh, so half of people get some systemic effect, but importantly, 42% of placebos got that as well. The headache rate was 30% on the first dose and 55% on the second dose, uh, uh, quite similar to the Pfizer one, and fatigue uh, was 30% first dose, 60% second dose. So if you're having these vaccines, you are going to get side effects, but mostly they'll be rare. Hypersensitivity and 1.5%. Uh, and serious aver adverse events were the same in the placebo and vaccine group, 1.3%. Uh, so amazing uh, side effect profile, but the best thing is the efficacy. Again, phenomenal efficacy. 196 COVID cases were found. Only 11 were in the vaccine group and 185 in the placebo group. Efficacy, exactly the same as Pfizer, 95%. Amazing. Interestingly, they report that between day one of the first dose and day 42, the end when they started collecting, there were only seven cases in the vaccine group compared to 65 cases in the placebo group. So that very first dose is having an amazing effect on, on immunity. Um, so... Uh, and severe cases, there were 30 in the placebo group and absolutely none in the vaccine group. And one death was in the placebo group. And I would just like to, you know, reflect on how how altruistic it is to join one of these studies. That person that died in the placebo group, if they'd just been randomised to the vaccine, they'd be alive today, wouldn't they? So, so, you know, it is the patients as well as the researchers that sacrifice a lot to give us all this data. Um, interestingly as well, there were nearly 700 people that had antibodies to COVID when they came into the study. So they probably had COVID already. Uh, and only one in the placebo group and one in the COVID uh, vaccine group actually went on to get coronavirus. So at the moment, basically, if you get coronavirus, it's very unlikely you're going to get it again, they say here. So that's two amazing mRNA vaccines that we've got in our armoury. Uh, and now let's move on to the Oxford vaccine, the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. Now, I really encourage you to read the original papers because this, this study is utterly different to the first two. It, it's wacky and I'm still in shock having read it. it it's just the differences are incredible. So the Oxford vaccine uh, is very different to the others. It's not an mRNA vaccine. They've taken a chimpanzee adenovirus uh, purified from the feces of chimps, uh, but very well um, very well used in the past for other vaccines. And then they put the uh, spike protein into this and use that flu, uh, chimpanzee flu in us to, to create antibodies. Uh, of note, the big difference is that your body is probably going to generate antibodies to that flu uh, virus, meaning that maybe the second dose uh, might have a different effectiveness compared to the nanoparticles where you don't generate any immunity to that. So you can use them as many times as you like. So the title of this study published in The Lancet 7th of January is the safety and efficacy of this vaccine, an interim analysis of four randomised controlled trials in Brazil, South Africa and UK. 
And that's weird to start with. It's a sort of mishmash of four, but it gets much weirder. So the pooled data is from four studies called Coronavirus Study 1, uh, which was in the UK, which is actually the phase one trial, Coronavirus 2, which is a single-blinded trial. Coronavirus, and then there's uh, then there's another coronavirus study from Brazil and another coronavirus study in South Africa. Um, they have included in this report 23,000 patients enrolled, but only 11,600 are in this report as have got to the end point. This is from April 23rd to November. So it's very different to the other two. Um, so coronavirus 1 was a single-bladed RCT in five sites, only 1,000 patients. Um, then they, they, they gave one dose to begin with, and then they realised one dose wasn't working very well. So they amended their protocol to give two doses. Um, and then this went across all the other uh, sub-studies. So coronavirus 2 was set up to be a phase 3 trial. But uh, they started off with one dose and then they went to two dose. But in coronavirus 2 study, um, it got weirder than that. They had a group um, doing spectrophotometry to make sure the dose was correct. And basically, there was another chemical that was basically mucking up the results. So they were giving half of what they thought they were giving. So they discovered this mistake and had, had to quickly change it but basically they've ended up with two groups where one is getting half dose then a full dose and the rest are getting the full dose um, so to me that's quite a massive disaster they had in the middle of this study uh, and they tried to quickly rectify it across all the studies um, also the age groups are 18 to 55 uh, and so there were originally none of over 55s and then they added some uh, in the other study groups. So coronavirus, the third study, is a Brazilian study from June the 23rd, mainly healthcare workers uh, and the doses were meant to be four weeks apart but they didn't achieve that. They set it up originally as a one one dose trial then they went to a two dose trial but they couldn't get them the second one quick enough so some of them were getting it a lot of them were getting it 12 weeks apart or even longer and then they gave the first dose the placebo was meningococcus vaccine but the second one was saline now they were naming all their studies in this four rct meta-analysis type thing as one two three but coronavirus study four isn't in this write-up. It jumps to coronavirus study five. So I have no idea where coronavirus study four is in this write-up. That's very strange. But coronavirus five is in the South Africa. It was a double-blinded study. Apparently, they all got two doses, uh, but 44 patients only got the half dose because of the big mistake that was uh, done. Now, weirdly as well, in South Africa... Remember, this is a symptomatic COVID study and symptoms were much more widespread that they wanted you to report in South Africa than the others. In the others. So in the UK, basically, you just needed to have fever, shortened breath or not be able to smell. But in South Africa, nasal congestion, sore throat, nausea, vomiting, you had to ring them and get a test uh, in all those situations. So again, that was quite different. In the UK, they had weekly self-testing. In Brazil, they didn't have self-testing. Uh, so, so really, it was uh, very strange. And then it gets even stranger. In the results, coronavirus study one and five 
didn't yet hadn't yet accrued five cases of COVID positive to get into it. So they've actually excluded that from the efficacy part and just used it for the safety part. So this is quite a mishmash, this study. Anyway, what are the outcomes? They finally got 11,000 patients in the study that are randomised. Um, only 12% are over 55 years old. Um, 53% of participants got their second dose 12 weeks or later, and only 1% got their dose within eight weeks. The average interval was two months between uh, doses. Uh, so, so really strange. Um, and, uh, and then, so, so this is the bit I really struggle with. Their, their primary outcome measure is the cases of COVID more than 14 days after the second dose. But very, they've got a massive gap between the first and the second dose, which is really very strange. Anyway, they got 131 cases of COVID and they got 30 cases in the vaccine arm and 101 in the control arm. So that's an efficacy of 70%. Then they've got loads of sub-studies. So if you did two standard doses, your efficacy is 62%. But the weirdest thing of all is if you had the accidental low dose and then the standard dose, the efficacy was 90%. But that really is going down to very small numbers. So that's three cases uh, in the vaccinated group versus 30 uh, in the placebo group. But that's the headline that's going around uh, the world. Um, they're saying that the Oxford vaccine has an up to 90% efficacy, but that's in this big mistake subgroup, uh, which really fizzes my head. Uh, so if you uh, get two doses more than eight weeks apart, your efficacy is 65%. Uh, if it's less than six weeks apart, it's 53%. Um, there were only 10 cases that were severe and they were all in the placebo group. Um, and only five cases in the over 55 group. And therefore, really efficacy. It's difficult to know what the efficacy is in the over 55s, which is a big problem because they're the ones we want to vaccinate. Now, it gets even weirder. They had to stop the trial uh, at one point and because they got a scary case of transverse myelitis where, where somebody was very ill. And then they looked back and there were two further cases of transverse myelitis. They got a load of neurologists to look at all the cases and they've kind of concluded that hopefully it's not due to the vaccine. So hopefully that's something out of nothing. Um, the one good thing about this study is that their efficacy data does go up to five months, although in quite a small group. So here, finally, uh, is the Great British Gamble. Firstly, you've got two amazing mRNA vaccines, uh, and then you've got the British vaccine, uh, which is an influenza uh, vaccine. And the chief medical officer in the UK has said, well, we're in such a pandemic panic that uh, really maybe we should just be giving one dose of all the vaccines uh, and leave the second dose for later. Now, it probably makes a bit of sense for the Oxford, i.e. the British vaccine, because they gave most of it at eight to 12 weeks anyway. So we know the, the efficacy, which is about 70%. But it makes absolutely no sense at all to smash up uh, the Pfizer and Moderna studies and, and hope and cross your fingers uh, that that second dose uh, doesn't matter. 
or does it? So the chief medical officer's argument is that the first dose efficacy of the Pfizer vaccine is 89%. And you can actually see that on the graphs. Uh, so you can see that the, the line virtually flattens off way before or a little bit before the second dose kicks in. So maybe he's got a point. But immunologists all over the world are absolutely up in arms about the British stance. Uh, they're saying that coronavirus is... You know, the coronavirus they know is a, is a common cold and we get a common cold every single year because we don't generate good immunity to a single uh, exposure to it, which is why we're doing these two doses. I've even heard an immunologist saying I work on, on novel mutations and what I do is I expose them to inadequate antibodies and they mutate quicker because if you're in a pool of inadequate antibodies, that's the perfect way to generate mutations. So this immunologist thinks that, uh, that if you want to create the best uh, melting pot for mutations in the world, then only give a half dose uh, of your vaccine. So, so in, Ox in, in Britain, we're taking a massive punt. We're going to basically uh, delay our dosaging uh, by 12 weeks so that we can get as many people as possible uh, that first dose. Uh, so it might work. We might win. We actually are the world's uh, leaders in immunising. We've done 1.3 million people so far in Britain, uh, and we're hoping to have 13 million vaccinated in six weeks' time. But we could cause mutations. We might have ineffective efficacy. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting. And uh, so I hope this is uh, interesting. I hope I haven't waffled on for too long. And uh, next week in part two, Jessica Luke is going to discuss uh, all this in great detail with an expert in immunology. So do tune into that. Uh, my name is Joel Dunning. I hope you've enjoyed this. And please do post uh, any questions or points you have about the vaccination programmes uh, at the end of this podcast. Thanks for listening.